0: talking. Good morning and thank you for tuning in to another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio.
1: This week on Municipal Mania, uh, we are interviewing and sitting down right now with Delegate Jeff Bourne. Welcome, Jeff.
2: <laughs> Thank you guys for having me.
0: Welcome. Happy happy Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, there's a Super Bowl today? <laughs>
1: yeah, with what? There's a puppy bowl, I heard. And there's two Central Virginia pups in it. Oh, I there was are. watching and oh. they
0: have um, sloths cheering them on. No.
2: No. It's a sloth. I'm
0: going to have to go watch this now, actually. But anyway, so we'll R. get going.
2: Bagel.
1: Oh, oh. oh. That was rough. Good call back though. Happy, Happy Black, Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Happy Black History Happy Month. Black History
2: Month. I-, I assume we'll get to that later. Yes. We sure will. We will definitely. We damn get to that sure later. will. Yes.
1: Okay. But first, if you could introduce yourself and your district a little bit and tell us about your background in politics.
2: Sure. Um so uh, I represent the 71st district which is Generally speaking, the northeast quadrant of the city, uh, neighborhoods, Shaco uh, Bottom, Churchill, Highland Park, Battery Park, Ginner Park, Bellevue, The Fan, Jackson Ward, Carver, uh, Scott's Edition, uh, generally. Uh, background in politics, I served a term in I guess a couple months uh, on the Richmond City School Board. Uh, Before that, I'd been involved on sort of the staff side in politics with Mark Warner going back to 2002 to 2004, Dwight Jones, and right before being elected to the House of Delegates, Mark Herring, the current Attorney General.
0: I don't know why I remember that you were on the school board. Full disclosure: Jesse ran <laughs> against him, and
2: mm-hmm. no, I never felt like Jesse ran against me. I felt like she always ran for the school board. That's
0: yes, it. that's true. That's it. it was an interesting
1: race. I think that's kind of how all three of us. Because it was definitely never really. I felt super competitive with. Oh, it's us going against each other because you have three candidates that generally agree on a lot of right. things, which right. is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's not really that with a lot of school board and council races where everybody it's really just figuring out like who do you want more. Right.
2: Um, right. Um,
1: because everybody agrees.
2: That's right. That's yeah. right. It's hard to distinguish yourself.
1: Yeah, unless you make some like radical statements. I don't know. <laughs> no, like, I don't support... Dana innovating. Biden. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, no,
0: may
2: have been a, you may have been a little bit ahead of your time, Jesse. I mean, you know, some
0: days. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. An innovator,
1: you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So we're, um, apparently, you mentioned we we're almost halfway through session. We are. Uh, only, I feel like, saying halfway through session. Yikes, right? So if you could talk right now about some of your bills that have already ca- passed us by or have had action happen on them in your side of things at this point and kind of kick us off there.
2: Sure. So I'll start with the ones who uh, that didn't survive as long as I think they should have. Uh, we'll start with what I believe is a common sense mm-hmm. gun measure. Um which is requiring people in Virginia to report lost or stolen firearms within 24 hours or face civil penalties. It's no secret to anybody in this room or in Richmond that we are plagued by too much gun violence still. And in Virginia, the the problem is is the same. And there are a lot of common sense things that we can do, including making people report their lost and stolen firearms. That died a a swift and painful death Mm. in Police uh, Committee,
1: and you said civil penalties.
2: Civil penalties, like, not criminal penalties. No, not right. so. So the the fine, the, uni- the initial fine would be. I think the bill had. I think we even lowered it from last year to make a hundred bucks or something like that the first time, and then fifty dollars or a hundred bucks each. How could you be time. against
0: something so reasonable? Uh,
2: they, they the the, the <laughs> gun freedom advocates mm-hmm. uh, find lots of creative reasons.
0: Ah uh, yes, freedom.
2: Freedom. It's not free. No. Let's see. Um, Connecting to the school board service, school safety was a big topic last year. Mm -hmm. We had, at the end of the session, uh, a horrific school shooting and served on the House Select Committee on School Safety. And out of that, uh, along with two other Democratic delegates, we really pushed a holistic approach rather than just hardening the schools like metal detectors, more SROs, school resource officers, bulletproof windows. And during the, it it was funny because even during the— Committee meetings. We had somebody come present that they have now have bulletproof whiteboards. Oh my God! Uh, wow!
0: Doesn't that just... Oh my gosh! That just blows my mind. So we really focused
2: wow. on things like reducing the student to council ratio from one to five hundred to one to two fifty, making sure that we lift the support staff cap. Um, because we're really trying to address the issue at the root cause by providing more s- supports and resources to the students. But one of the things that came out of that was it's inevitable that we're going to have s- school resource officers, which are sworn law enforcement officers, in our schools. And so if we're going to do that, uh, then they need to be trained. But they need to be trained in things that are student-specific. So trauma-informed care, how do you deal with students uh, with learning disabilities or or, or mental health needs? Um, how, do you, how do you deal with... Uh, the cultural issues, and so making sure that they're trained in culpo- cultural competencies and implicit bias. That bill had a long hearing, um, but ultimately died. It was an interesting conversation, and uh, I won't describe motives, but there was a clear um, difference of opinion on policy related mm-hmm. to training our school resource officers uh, with, the, with the majority party and the chairman of that committee, the mm-hmm. Courts of Justice Committee. It was interesting. It went to uh, the Courts of Justice Criminal Law Subcommittee. Uh, I have a colleague, Jay Jones, from Norfolk, who had a school resource officer training bill. His went to education, which is where I expected mine to go, but maybe I was trying to push the envelope a little bit with (laughs) prescribing the training. But... Uh, so radical. Yeah. Having said that, you know, last year we were able to take a, a good first step in in trying to dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline by reducing the amount of days a student could be long-term suspended. So this year, uh, our next bite of that apple was going to be uh, prohibiting criminal charges on students uh, in school, on school grounds, during school activities from being charged with disorderly conduct. Yeah. Because what we're finding is there's an increasing number of students who are being referred to law enforcement officers and the catch-all or the, the charge that they are getting when there's nothing else to charge is disorderly conduct. We went around and around with that in the same committee. Uh, It was (coughs) unsuccessful again. Fortunately, though, the Senate version, which took a little bit different approach than I did, I really tried to narrow it and focus it on the schools and the students. That's still alive. I suspect um, that it'll face a a severely uphill battle in the House. So those were the ones that that didn't fare so well. A couple of them didn't even get heard. So uh, putting source of income or, you know, uh, it's the voucher bill um, where landlords now can just not even accept an application for a rental property if someone's paying with a voucher. I want to put the source of income or how you pay on the protected class in our fair housing laws. That didn't get a hearing. Uh, Another bill, it's been dubbed the NIMBY bill, where we prohibit discriminatory housing decisions or development decisions, permits, zoning appeals, zoning decisions uh, based on all the protected classes. That Never got a hearing, um, which it was interesting because it had the support of both the Legal Aid Justice Center, the Virginia Poverty Law Center, disability advocates, and the realtors and the home builders. It just never got a hearing, so that was uh, a little interesting. Now, onto the ones that have fared better. <laughs> One of the other big issues coming out of the session last year was the eviction crisis in Virginia. And so working with stakeholders from basically the latter half of, of 2018 to try to develop some policies that would help stem the tide of eviction. So um, I've had bills pass out of the House and are in the Senate now to uh, restrict landlords from only filing one unlawful detainer. Because what we were seeing is you'd file a unlawful detainer in January for missed rent, then they wouldn't be able to pay the rent in February. They'd file another one and so on and so on. And so it, it's just added costs, added time, expense, uh, more hearings for the court. So what we did was we said, you're only going to be allowed to file one, but landlord in the event that it goes over too much, you can update your statement of damages or how much rent is owed up until the day of the hearing. Uh, in addition to that, we put some tighter restrictions on uh, making sure the landlords are filing their notices and their paperwork and their and their pleadings correctly. So making sure they're meeting all the due process components, all the statutory requirements so that tenants really do know what they owe. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that's also passed the uh, the House and in the Senate is right now basically landlords are the only ones that can recoup attorney's fees in, in one of these proceedings. Mm-hmm. Uh, my bill now that is in the Senate hopefully will get passed was, was another compromise piece of legislation whereby if a tenant in an unlawful detainer action or a, an eviction proceeding uses the landlord's violation of their lease as a defense and is successful in defending that, they can petition the court and be awarded attorney's fees. Similarly, if I'm a tenant and I bring an action, pro, you know, proactively against a landlord, mm-hmm. and I prove that they have breached their lease, mm-hmm. I can get my attorney's fees too. So, so we're we're helping tenants, and uh, you know, th- things that are that you would think are common sense <clears> in, in the landlord-tenant law weren't. Um, so, like, I'm one of the co-sponsors of a bill that requires landlords to give a written lease to tenants. Right now, it's not required. It's not. Um, so, so they're, they're, you know, I'm, I'm happy about um, the things that have passed. I'm a little disappointed about things that haven't passed, but we'll keep fighting a good fight.
1: Wow. I'm just kind of blown away at all of the super calm. Like, I, mm-hmm. I can't even fathom in some of those cases, like, what the possible rebuttal
0: could be. Well, yeah, especially criminalizing a child, you know, really should be an absolute last resort. Why are you trying to find something to charge a child with? Mm-hmm. Just don't charge them.
3: Because the alternative is if you don't charge them with something to get them out of the school then they continue to be at the school and you've got this narrative now that disruption causes a you know unteachable atmosphere for other kids in school and it's like well that's because the child doesn't have the resources that they need at the school right, in the first right. place it is, it's a- or yeah or you're not addru- addressing what's happening at the school um, for several other reasons you know you've got kids fighting you've got too many kids in a place at one time or in a class at one time or in the cafeteria at one time teachers aren't aware of what's going on because they their, their class sizes are too
2: big. You know, they're already tired. They're not getting paid enough.
0: Man, that would be a fly on the wall of and, some of and, these conversations. And, you know, yeah.
2: this is another example of, one, the cuts that have been made to public education uh, in Virginia based on and, and probably the, the country when, when the economy tanked about 10 years ago. And then the disinvestment or the underinvestment in that time um, because the support resources are the wraparound services are, are down yeah. um, over that same time. So so this the, the conversation about school safety, the conversation about the school to prison pipeline really is one of school funding and school resources. And it's a, both a policy issue and a fiscal issue. So on the fiscal side, there are those of us, a group of us who, who continue to push budget amendments to increase the at-risk add-on, make sure that we're funding support staff, making sure that, again, we have money to reduce that student to counselor ratio so that the counselors are actually providing quality service and not just quantity. Right now, right. The counselors are basically like McDonald's. they got to serve a billion, billion customers. You know, they're, right. they're, the kids are in there for two, three, four minutes, and they don't get that quality interaction.
3: And replacing actual school resource officers with police officers, that's been a major issue, and that's what contributes to a lot of this. We'll just charge them with disorderly conduct, and then they're out of the school.
2: Yeah, and, and, and the, the unfortunately, uh, too many teachers and administrators are using the sworn law enforcement that are in our schools as the the disciplinarians. and so rather than deal with it within the student code of conduct rather than deal with it uh, in the in the appropriate way where you try to correct the behavior, you're you're just sending them to the police officers. and now that now the, the the cascading of negative effects of interactions with law enforcement for our young people start to happen.
1: So with that also being said, we kind of started talking about the budget and the uh, underfunding of schools. We just recently had the red for at March. was that just a week ago, I think? That it was, was the twenty eighth. Yeah. Yeah. it
3: feels like it was a month ago. Oh so gosh. that was Monday.
0: Oh my gosh!
3: <laughs> I know.
0: I, in a week's time, it feels like we've gone I'm through a month. of just... when
3: your life is upside down.
1: Oh, uh, right? it's like terrible to laugh about this, but yeah, I didn't realize I was just like not yeah, even a week Monday, ago. Then yeah. this yeah. is Sunday. If anybody's listening to this, we're recording on Sunday, so it's almost a week ago. Yeah. So back to that um, and I know in the at the end toward the end of the March they made an announcement that there was an increase of funding put into the budget if you could speak a little bit about where the budget for education stands today that would be very interesting since apparently I forgot it was only a week ago
2: <laughs> so so I think the, the 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 budget for education is is in a relatively good place. I haven't had a chance to study the, the what the appropriation committee has proposed because it just came out. At one o'clock today but the governor's budget was pretty good he put money in for teachers raises at five percent he put money in for reducing the student to counselor ratio he put money in um, for lots of different things uh, increasing the at-risk add-on so so typically what happens is the legislature tries to one up the governor okay. uh, and so as I understand it there there is money in there for the five percent raises or at-risk add-on there is additional money uh, from the lottery uh, per, for per-people funding. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that, that we've done over the last couple of years is over time, the lottery funds, which were supposed to be an add-on mm-hmm. to the general fund money that the state gives, supplanted the general fund money when we had to make cuts. So we're now starting to write that ship where it really does become the supplement and not the supplant uh, of general funds. So they've done that. They put some additional money in higher education to, to stem the tide of tuition increases. Um, but uh, we'll take a look over the next couple of days uh, because we got to debate the budget um, this week and and budget amendments I think are due Wednesday I mean it's in a good place I, I just I, at this point having only seen the budget for four or five hours um, yeah. we haven't been able to really dig into it But, but I'm not I'm not upset uh, at the state of the budget for public education right now. Okay.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a good start I think having the governor put it and kind of set the tone that you you got to do something. Like this is a minimum mm-hmm. table stakes situation at least.
2: Yeah. A- as they like to say the governor gave us a good start is what the what mm-hmm. the chairman of the appropriations committee likes to say.
1: The bills I've heard you talk about really have been around gun safety or crime safety kind of vein and then also obviously education, and then also um, housing and evictions. What committees are you on specifically?
2: So uh, the committees that I serve on are the Commerce and Labor Committee, the Courts of Justice Committee, and the Education Committee. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like that, <laughs> lines <up. That's laughs> that
1: lines up. I was curious about that. Makes how. sense. And something that we asked uh, Senator McClellan while she was here also was about advocacy towards the General Assembly, and obviously you're on the House side of it, and you also have a little bit of a different approach, I'm sure, for yourself. But speaking to people that obviously want to get involved with the General Assembly, we focus mostly on local government, and some of it is definitely because the General Assembly is a whole lot. And especially when it's in session, it's like 45, 30 days. It's super quick, and there's a lot going on. I mean, the fact that we're talking today about they release the budget at 1 p.m. today, and it's, like, amendments are due Wednesday.
3: Wednesday. Yikes.
1: Like, we had council arguing for, like, seven months about, <laughs> are you going <laughs> to change the residency <laughs> <here laughs> requirement? I know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: Continuations on continuations on continuation.
1: Maybe that's a little shaded of counsel, but at the same time, just to give the comparison of that also is an appropriate, in some cases, time for legislation to take, like seven months to evaluate it. This is a very rapid period of time to get in and Mm -hmm. make some pretty big decisions. But anyway, so speaking to advocates, how would you recommend or give advice to people trying to get involved with the General Assembly?
2: Sure. I, I think, one, you've got to know who your General Assembly representatives are individually and then whatever issue that that really you're passionate about find out who's on those committees engage with other stakeholders but but I think that the one thing that is both good and frustrating at the same time is that many people who want to be engaged and and be advocates der, for the general assembly or in the general assembly wait until session and so if you're waiting till session you don't get to really have an impact like you otherwise would Okay. So we talk about folks will come to us the the day before a session starts and say, "Hey, I want you to put in a bill." It's they're already written. They're already written, especially in in a in an election year session where we're only there for forty five days. Yeah. We have bill limits. There's a lot of work that has to go into to one getting a bill drafted, but also when you introduce a bill, you want to have ninety percent, eighty five percent of the questions and and sort of challenges with that bill known. Answered. Yeah. Answered. Um, because when you step up to that podium to present it, uh, you, you've got to have the information that you, that you need to have, the answers to the questions. You've got to have your stakeholders lined up, your advocates lined up mm-hmm. to support them. You need to have talked to the other members of the committee. And so it, it really is, a, 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 it's probably less intense than, than being engaged in a local government because you're meeting every couple of weeks. You know, there's always a city council meeting, school board meeting that you can get involved in, but you still have to be engaged throughout the year. Uh, because things, a lot of things do happen in the quote-unquote off-season. There's a lot of bills that get referred as study. Um, there's a lot of bills that get letters from the chairman to direct the stakeholders to to get together and meet and come up with a, with a solution. And you can really, especially those of us in Richmond, like we're here all the time. And so just be engaged the whole time. But I will tell you, it feels different this year. It feels like there are more people engaged mm. and walking around the halls. That's amazing. I, I mean, it's great. Um, I love it. There's more progressive folks coming and saying, hey, make sure you support this. And I I really enjoy being able to say, yeah, I'm with you on all five of those issues. I'm with you on all 10. Like, I'm a co-sponsor of this and a co-sponsor of that. And, and it's just really good because I think um, come next January, we're going to have a lot more success on some of the priorities uh, that we have.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that. How do you feel about uh, the upcoming elections? And you think we'll we'll flip it and make it
2: uh, I, I am, as I am, as possible? Uh, optimistic. Um, obviously, as we know, a lot can happen in, say, a week. No. <laughs> I am going to say, like, uh, that answer might have been you know, different so, on Thursday. So, so uh, yeah. True. But, but but I think, objectively speaking, because the court has, has basically redrawn some districts, the sort of fallout from that, the next-door neighbor districts have gotten better for Democrats. And I think the political dynamic, the, the electorate, has changed. Um, if you look at some of the swing districts around the state from Senator Kane's re-election last November, the numbers are just astounding. And how many Democrats voted and, and what he was able to win those districts with. I'm cautiously optimistic. I do not think it's going to be a slam dunk. Um, this is an off-year election. We don't have a Tim Kaine or a Mark Warner or, or, or anybody at the top of the ticket really driving that turnout. It's 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 going to be um, harder than it otherwise would be because of that.
0: So what do you do to drive turnout, to let people know that this is still just as important as a major election?
2: Well, I think, one, you, you make sure that your caucus and, and organizational groups are are really driving turnout Um, you work with a lot of different stakeholders you you have a great coordinated campaign you hire a lot of people to to really get out and 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 do the 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 grassroots organizing the field work the knocking on doors the making sure that people are registered because it is it is going to be difficult so so it's not rocket science we all know what to do we just got to get out and do it and make sure that we're doing it in a coordinated and strategic way
0: you want freedom vote for me Welcome to
1: my party. I completely forgot. Redistricting is another factor that plays into this, into the elections. And we were also just coming off of when you're speaking towards going into a session, knowing almost 85, 90% of your questions before you walk into session, much less onto the floor, how how do you prepare and read bills? I know we just came off of um, Delegate Tran, who had some, I'm going to say, challenges mm-hmm. while she was on the floor answering some of the questions that were coming at her in a committee. And I know some of the response online has also been recognizing the fact that it is hard to predict necessarily what every question that's going to come at you is. So you as a delegate, how do you actually prepare for uh, your bills that are coming up?
2: So, so if it's my bill... Clearly, I have a head start. I've I've worked on the issue. I don't tend to and haven't tended to introduce bills that just to introduce them. I have some clear policy priorities and and I kind of stick to those those areas. But generally, you have to read the bill first. I know lobbyists generally get a bad rap, but they do have some value because they're the ones if it's and when I say lobbyists, I mean, I mean, advocates too. take um, take one Virginia 2021. they lobby the General Assembly. They, they, they lobby the federal lawmakers. They lobby local government. But I, w- but I don't think they're the same type of lobbyists that get the bad rap. But, the, but they're the experts the subject matter experts and so you work with them to make sure that you have all of the background all the context all of the research that's been done in an easily digestible way but for the for the other bills you know they're kind of maybe a couple categories so so you have a lot of bills that want to change Broad Street to Jesse Perryway or mm-hmm.
1: create there's definitely <laughs> a lot specifically for that request oh yeah out. I I've been <laughs> lobbying for that for two <laughs> yes. years like
2: or, or, or there's there, there, like there's a bill this year to make northern neck ginger the ginger ale of virginia i or,
1: mean i would lobby for that would, it's right. great ginger ale it's, it's great <laughs> ginger ale, right <laughs>
2: um or th- this special license plate or that special license plate I bet. you don't really need to spend a whole lot of time reading those because you know what they do there's there's really no kind of tricks in them right then there's a there's, there's this middle section of bills that are substantive but they're not they're not the most complex or challenging there's not a lot of hair or tentacles on them they're, they're just pretty mm-hmm. straightforward right yeah mm-hmm. like we're gonna raise the the, the age to buy, to buy alcohol or, or to buy tobacco from 18 to 21. You know what that does? It's substantive but literally the bill if you look if you read it it literally all it does is strike out 18 and insert 21. But it's substantive. You need to read it. And then there are those bills like Delegate Trans Bill or like last year we had the big grid modernization energy bill that really did a lot of things. I mean it was probably 50 pages long and lots of changing parts, lots of moving parts and you've really got to spend time reading it rereading it because as you know earlier, like things change really quickly and bills will change because um, there were a lot of stakeholders and, and there were a lot of meetings and just changes going on with that bill. So so you've got to make sure that you have good relationships with the people that are on, like being the tip of the spear on those issues so that they can keep you updated in real time about what changes are being made, where, and then listening and, and watching and talking to people, talking to the bill's patrons about it. I read your bill. I'm interpreting it like this. Is this the intent? Is this really what you're trying to get at? And they might say, yeah, that's it. You've got it. Or they might say, no, that's not really what. What I meant, and so they help you explain it. So, so it really is kind of all over the place, where you where you <laughs> really got to do a lot of work. But I mean, they quick the, those bills really quickly make themselves known. The ones that are going to be really comprehensively debated and reviewed, like like this year, it's it's the tax conformity and tax policy changes that we're contemplating and, and debating, which we'll vote on tomorrow. Normally, Virginia conforms its state tax code to the federal tax code, makes it easier for tax filers. It you know just it's just easy. Well, this year, there's a complexity to it because if we change our tax code, we get more revenue just by because of conforming to the federal law changes that have been made. And so then the question becomes, well, one, do we conform? Yes. What do we do with the additional money? What other tax policy changes do we want to make? And so you have all these scenarios going on where if because if we don't make the changes, the money will still come, but we just won't have a budget that tells us how to spend it. It'll just go into savings. Where to put it. Yeah. Where to put it. And so that's the big debate now. Both. I- I agree. Schools, school, schools, school. I agree. school, school. I, agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, tell us
0: where you stand on that again, France. Schools. <laughs>
2: Schools, the cheering. Schools, schools, schools. So um, so there are, there, are, there are four or five bills every year that, that, that are the big ones. And the tax question and tax debate is is the one this year because it's involved and so intertwined in the budget.
1: And speaking of how we, you guys look at bills, and how do you look at bills in relation to also in context of what's going on with the locality? Obviously, if any of our listeners don't know, the Dillon rule. Uh, There's a lot of things that cities in Stiganias have to ask for permission from the General Assembly to do. And I'm just curious, right now, the most specific example, obviously, is like the Coliseum. There's things that Richmond City is specifically advocating for, asking for more money, of course, from the General Assembly, while at the same time, you see things that are happening in the city. Not necessarily just about that, but in other places. How do you guys kind of evaluate some of those local decisions and the local power versus the state power?
2: It's interesting because it really does depend on the issue. At one point, you'll have some on the Republican side say this is an unfunded mandate this is an imposition on the local government I'm just not for it for that reason and then like three days later their bill does does the exact same thing it imposes an unfunded mandate it, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and it's not it's not just Republicans right it's right. it's everybody um, it, it really is about <laughs> the issue you know one of the frustrating things and, and I get it um, having served both on the sort of staff side and the elected side on, on the local government there are some unfunded mandates and and just requirements and mandates that, that come down from the General Assembly. Uh, but what's really frustrating is all those, on the policy issues that I see that really could help kids, the School Boards Association, the Superintendent's Association, my friends at the VA, and I, and I agree with them 95% of the time. But what really frustrates me is when they get up and say, this is an unfunded mandate. and it, And we're talking about training SROs. We're talking about my bill that I didn't talk about earlier, but I had a bill that that would have changed state law to allow school boards to keep any fund balances they had rather than reverting back to the local government. The VEA stayed silent. They didn't say anything. The local governments came and opposed it. Of and, course. And and, and and so I'm just like, you know, what is going on here? If you're if you're here to advocate for a specific issue and be about that issue, don't just be about it sometimes. You know, when when I hear an education advocate come up and testify on a bill that would have required school divisions if they give homework or assignments that that require the use of technology, that they make that technology available to all students as saying it's too expensive or it's an unfunded mandate or you're putting some people ahead of the line more than others. I have a real problem with that. And it's, it's extremely frustrating and disheartening um, to see um, folks who, who, who take that approach.
1: What do you think a better approach would be? Because I think I can definitely see where the side of it is. is like, okay, well, where are we going to get the money from? Is it a two-step process of put it in place? Or how would you see a better approach even?
2: Well, I think um, my experience has always led me to, to conclude that, that we spend a lot of money Take Richmond Public Schools, for example. We spend almost $300 million a year educating 24,000 students. And when you're talking about a $100,000 outlay or a $200,000 outlay, or $50,000 or whatever the case may be, like we can find that through efficiencies, right? It's not like we're asking you to spend $30 million on something. Recognizing that, but also recognizing, having the advocates recognize and appreciate that that yes, we are pushing hard on the policy side, but if you go check our budget amendments, if you go check what we're advocating for from a financial perspective, they're gonna match up. And so don't spend so much time arguing against the policy simply because of cost. Go over here and start advocating for this additional money. Mm-hmm. in a very specific and targeted strategic way but the policy has to change because that that's that's what governs how they they administer public education. You'll we'll never get the money if, <laughs> if it's not in place. Right.
1: It's so like I, I'm even hearing you say basically like, hey, you know, you see this policy instead of spending the time saying this is an unfunded mandate in the policy session, kind go of go to the, the, budget the budget and say, okay, where's this that we're passing over here in the budget and right. really it's, put pressure on the budget side. It's
2: it's not a binary thing. You you don't have to pick one or the other. Mm. Right. Let's do both because we're going to do both. We're pushing for the money. We're pushing for the policy changes because we know that's that's the that's the end solution. Um, you got to change policy and and change the purse strings.
0: You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio.
1: So these monuments. Speaking
0: of the Dillon rule. I know.
1: I figured speaking of the Dillon rule, obviously in Richmond, Richmond wasn't a big advocate from the city for asking permission, but I believe it was Charlottesville that did ask for permission to take them down for the localities. What is the hangup or is this ever going to change, do you think? Or what's the climate on monuments right now?
2: So I think the, the climate on monuments, unfortunately, is the same as it is sort of on guns and, and taxes um, for some, which is, it's a non-starter. I was happy to sign up. I think localities should have the ability to determine what they want to do if they want to do anything with monuments. It's it's a vestige of the albatross that's Jim Crow and slavery and massive resistance um you know and and there are still a lot of people in Virginia that are that 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 have closer to that mindset than not and I think that's a big part of why you're seeing this even in a, even in a city like Richmond where you know my district from a democratic performing perspective is about 90 percent you still get emails opposed to these bills that would allow the locality to take take their own destiny on these monuments I mean the fact that there was so much debate discussion and opposition to naming Boulevard after Arthur Ash it was it, it was beyond my comprehension I mean Arthur Arthur Ashe is an icon. He is a world-renowned hero. An exemplary human. Yes. (laughs) Like, right, like like not just a black man, but he is a he is, he, he, he is an exemplary human being.
1: Right. <laughs> I was blown the day that I found out that when Nelson Mandela was finally released from prison and they said, who do you want to talk to? He said, Arthur Ashe. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that blew my mind. Like just that really understood for me like the magnitude of, mm-hmm. you know, out in Richmond you always know like Arthur Ashe is the greatest yep. but mm-hmm. then also stepping outside and seeing that somebody in prison in South Africa that's fighting the apartheid is like, I need Arthur
0: Ashe. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was
1: really, really neat to find out. Yeah.
0: But, right, and yeah. that, that anybody would be opposed to that or think that they couldn't still call the boulevard the boulevard well like, I mean, i'm
1: gonna call it the boulevard like i'm gonna appreciate it's arthur ash but like when i'm shortening things you know it's gonna be yeah, it's a boulevard.
0: boulevard right and it's not gonna reduce your property values it's not gonna the world won't crumble I, it the it might be a better place for it <laughs> oh oh i'm sorry named after
3: a black man <laughs> why would i even think you tried that to put on him on me. monument avenue and that was bad enough <laughs> want to ch- make me change my address and all my business stamps and my personalized letter stamps and letterheads? Well,
1: I never. Speaking of the race climate Enrichment, I think this is probably a great time to pivot um, kind of out of some of those discussions we've been having specific to the budget. But we can't uh, go this interview and discussion without addressing the fact that it's now Sunday and uh, it's been. Speaking
3: like, of race. Yeah,
1: it's really oh. it's, it was a transition. Yeah. Speaking of racism. <laughs> Just make it plain. I know. I just, it's, I don't even know where to start of, like, of the fact that, I mean, our governor. Our governor is not, not sure
3: if he was in blackface or not.
1: He believes he wasn't because but he's, not sure, he's though. admitting <laughs> that he did other blackface. Well, but yeah. just, just no, darkening. No, uh, no, 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 no. It I wasn't,
3: don't... it wasn't full blackface. It was just a little bit of shoe polish because y'all know that stuff doesn't come off easily. It was like not all the way blackface because I like Michael and I can do the moonwalk. So it was just kind of blackface. <sighs> So,
0: Jeff,
2: <laughs> how you been dealing with all this? Um, you know, the
3: last first, how did you feel first when you first that when you first got the news? What what washed over you?
2: It was a smorgasbord of emotions. It was anger. It was disappointment it was an overwhelming sense of betrayal and hurt I mean it was painful when you when you are meeting with your colleagues who are just learning about this and they uncontrollably begin to cry yes and I'm not I'm not just talking about tears just dribbling out of their eye mm-hmm. I mean there was one delegate and I won't mention who they are but they literally like fell on head for like mm-hmm Head in their arms, mm-hmm. uncontrollably. Yeah, because the pain of uh, uh, both for you know our our more experienced delegates who had to live through mm-hmm. a lot of these times. Yes, and even a even me who grew up in a very small Southwest Virginia town and can remember being in sixth seventh grade around that time. Watching a KKK march down the main street of my town, Uh being told that you can't do X or you can't do Y because of Z. And to see this at that point in time on Friday evening coming and being associated with someone who until that moment Uh had
3: no signs,
2: no signs. He was a friend. He had done in a year as governor, a lot of wonderful things. I mean, there are almost 400,000 people in Virginia, you know, that a big part of the reason they have access to health care is because of Ralph Northam. You know, the felony threshold was raised largely because of the work that his, he and his administration did with the legislature. You know, so, so there was all these emotions raging through all of us. And so like we have to do, and when I say we, I mean, Yes. African Americans have had to do a lot of times throughout history. You quickly pivot to your survival skills. You quickly Ingo. pivot to how do you deal with this? Mm-hmm. What is our what is our reaction? What is our response to this? And so we gathered as many legislative Black Caucus members as we could. Many of them were still here because it was around the time where we just got out of session and yeah. folks were trying to pack up. Others had to stay because the Appropriations Committee were meeting to prepare for the budget. So we met. We talked. We. Demanded and sought uh, a meeting, face-to-face meeting with the governor, where we looked him in the eye. We had some very direct and honest um, conversations with him. We went back after that, caucused again, and then we went to see the governor again. And it was at that point where we, again, looked him in the eye and said, it is our belief that you can no longer govern effectively. You've lost the trust, the confidence uh, of the people that you serve, of the people that you have to work with. Uh, And for those reasons... We think it's best for Virginia, all of Virginia, if you resign. And 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 now, mind you, we we prayed with the governor when we met with him because we kn- we we know how difficult these conversations were going to be. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, I I I don't know what the thought process has been since it all came out. Because the one thing that is clear to me is that the press conference on Saturday was not helpful. It. Yeah, it made things worse. Right. Because even if you assume like let's just for the sake of argument, assume that it's not him in the original picture Mm -hmm. when when he stands up in front of national media. I mean, yes, it was packed. Yes. And 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 demonstrates and says I did put shoe polish on my face just a little bit, but that's blackface. That's the definition that's of it. blackface. And I
3: didn't
1: put more and finish it because I already knew it doesn't come off. Right.
2: And 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 you know, and watching a lot of the morning shows, we all were doing <clears throat> interviews this morning, and you know, I, I think it was Congressman Keechan that made this yes. point. Yes. Yes. How does he know it doesn't come off if you haven't already done it before?
3: And that's our point. You know, you we don't, we, I don't know it doesn't come off. I've never put in shoe
2: polish on my face. I've never thought to. Hmm. Now, I can tell you because my father made me learn how to shine shoes, my own shoes, that it, it, it's hard to get off your fingers. I it gets under your nails. T- yeah. You know? Yeah. But, it, but, but I don't know about my face. I've never put it on my face. I well, would I it put makes it on me, my face?
1: It makes me think about the fact that he went to VMI, where you have to have your shoes shine daily, mm-hmm. and you have a nickname mm-hmm. while you're at VMI, that you claim only two people called you. And you
0: have no idea why, and it, it was in your no. yearbook? It, There's so many things, that, and it just insults the intelligence of everybody who's listening. Before we go before we go too far in the details, let's back up to the
3: implications of the statement, the press conference on Saturday. You started off... <laughs> You started off talking about how you know how disappointed and how betrayed you feel. I, all of those words I identify with. Um, it, it was a rough weekend. It has been. But one of the things that has been a resounding message to me through this process: Friday was difficult enough. Saturday made it ear-shattering for me because the performance that we watched. And that's what it was, was a performance. The performance that we watched on Saturday made it very clear and apparent to me that after all of these face-to-face talks, after all of these meetings with these different people, these phone calls that happened to NAACP presidents and chairs of state committees and all these things, all these people that have called you to tell you, this hurts me. This hurts me as a person of color. This I feel betrayed, I feel all of these things. And regardless of how horrified, that was the word he used several times, it was horrific, it's horrific, it's horrific. He was horrified. We heard a lot of I, I, and I. And you still haven't found it within yourself and no one around you has been able to clearly articulate what that means, that throughout all these meetings that you had, these these people came to you. You guys shouldn't have had to go to him. That's 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 a whole nother conversation. Well, let
2: me. He called. He called individually. Okay, right? great. Because, and, and and remember the time again. He's not certain who's in town, who's not in who's town. Who's not? But okay, there was so that's a group fine. Of us, so, so we, we'll give him
3: we'll we, give him that pass then. We'll give him that pass. So, but still, these things are coming, and you're talking to these people, and you still haven't. You you still don't get it. And that's apparent in what happened on Saturday. Because if you got it, it wouldn't be a joking matter that you dressed up in blackface. You wouldn't be trying to convince us as listeners that dressing up what you did wasn't blackface. And in addition to that. This piecemeal of, well, I understand that it was wrong, but I do not believe this is me. If anybody has ever has ever worked for a PR agency or has ever been involved with even communications and human relations, you understand what that type of terminology means. It's a strong no. If you tell me I saw you do such and such at this place. And here's a picture representation of it. If I I know either I was not there and I didn't do it. I've never done that before. I never dressed up like that. I don't know this person. This picture is unfamiliar to me. It's not even something I would do. I don't even like plaid pants. It's not me. It is clearly not me, right? There's no in between. There's no, I do not believe. I do not recall. I had too much beer. There's no excuse. I mean, there's no in between. There's no like, Finagling out of so when you have, I do not believe and I don't recall, that's a finagle, and you can't fool me with that because you either it's either not you very clearly. Or you've been advised not to make that clear statement because we don't know there might be a, a picture of you dressed up as Michael Jackson. This might not be a good idea for you to say that's not me. Or somebody might have evidence that we're not sure of. We and, and oh, I didn't. I haven't even seen the yearbook. I was I was already deployed and gone. I didn't even know about the yearbook.
0: And and in the how, 35 years since, I've never even bothered to take. How a peek does at it. how does but even, I can see how that happens. Maybe he
3: was busy. I don't know. But where where is it in our discovery session of vetting these candidates that things like this don't, like they don't come up? You know, this wasn't something that somebody had been hiding for years in their basement and then their mother died and they cleaned out the basement. Public, it, was and a it,
0: it was a publicly available thing. Thank
3: you. And so for that to come out now and there's speculation on as to why it came out at this particular time that's a whole nother subject but the fact that this came out and the response that we keep getting from you is stubborn white privilege and you still don't
0: get what's wrong i mean it, that's mad it was magnified everyone on sa- telling on you that you, there's no confidence in you to leave this commonwealth anymore and you're still like nope nope i'm, I'm gonna stay put i'm gonna, I'm gonna stay put Super glue myself and to you this guys mansion yeah and you guys
3: have to forgive me because yes. i said i was sorry and it wasn't me but he
0: didn't say he was sorry to black people no
1: but with all of that also i I think one thing I also took away from the interview or the – sorry, the press conference was with all of those things at the same time of having gone and talked to, to the caucuses, mm-hmm. having talked to everybody at that point multiple times and expressing how you all felt and for him to still say, I think we can continue talking.
2: Uh-uh.
3: You don't get it.
1: I, I think I'm just – I just want to know like how does that also like – how's the response been towards that piece of it?
2: Well, I think uh, it, it, the response has been – from, from our perspective, we've not heard anything, seen anything that, that has changed our collective call Mm-mm. for him to resign. Mm-mm. And uh, I think, you know, we, we, we said in a statement after Saturday uh, that we amplify our call mm-hmm. because there, there were things in there that, that necessitated an amplification of, of yeah. the call. And, and And so, you know, this has obviously consumed us. As 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 it has consumed a lot of people, and it's just it is so frustrating because as we've talked about for the entire show, we've got a lot of big things to do, and this cloud this is disruptive is going to impact mm-hmm. everything. I mean, I think everybody is on, uh, you know, uh, everybody believes that the right thing for him to do step down is to step down. Yeah, and so I think we're still hopeful. We're we'll still we're still prayerful that he'll do that, but I think. You know, it, it becomes there's less control over how to do that once Monday comes. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. a, 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 because we're all there. Yeah. You're busy. Yeah. And and so yeah, I've heard you know, a lot of people say, well, can he be forgiven? Can he redeem himself? And, and you know, my good friend and chairman of the Black Caucus, Lamont Bagby, really said something that, that struck home with me because I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that we are a society of second mm-hmm. chances. Yes and and I do believe that because on the one hand I, I if we if we say that he can't rehabilitate himself, then I think we lose a little bit of credibility on some of the issues that I Hell, care we do. briefly about we do so 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 this is what Lamont said, I thought <clears throat> I, I thought it was I was like, man that that's it. He said the ban, Ralph Northam can rehabilitate himself, repair his reputation, repair the relationships, but Governor Northam right. cannot the governor cannot right so 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 Ralph as a man mm-hmm. can do that. the yeah. governorship the 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 office. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, it it's clear to us that it's b- sort of beyond repair at this point. And the more he speaks, the, the deeper the hole gets.
1: What statement do you think this situation coming up has made on the contemporary, really contemporary race in Virginia and where we stand today as a country having come past a, n- a number of things and made a lot of progress, but obviously there's still room to go?
2: Well, I, I think um, this is one of those examples that crystallizes it for some in Virginia, that that either don't understand, don't want to understand, mm-hmm. um, that these issues are still here today. And I think the opportunity that it gives us to really address the, the remaining challenges around race mm-hmm. and equity, this gives us the platform in, in a in a much grander way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it you can't be in Virginia and read a newspaper, go through your Facebook, um, Twitter, whatever, without seeing this and 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 so it's on the forefront of everyone's mind. Yeah. And and so that's our challenge collectively as 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 people who understand these issues. But specifically while we have the next 23 22 days as a legislative black caucus, we have to we have a responsibility and I think a, a mandate to to really push these issues through policy, through debate and 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 I think you're going to see that because There's no other option for us at this point. Virginia, you know, can lead in the right way when it comes to race relationships, the same way that they led in the wrong way 400 years ago. That's it. So that's that's what I think the opportunity is before us.
1: And what's the opportunity for, you know, halfway through the session, going back to that point of it, there's a lot more to advocate for. And as the bills swap, what are things that people shouldn't lose sight of, in your opinion, to make sure that while we're pushing on all of the other pieces of things that are coming up, where should we keep our sights in focus?
2: I would certainly keep my sights and focus on the budget, because even when the, the budget is still a long way from being enacted, um, uh-huh. because the, the House is going to have a different version of the budget than the Senate, and it'll, you know, there's still this interplay between the House, the Senate, and the administration whatever that looks like by the time we get to the end of the session. And so it's my belief that, that as policymakers, and, and, and this is typical of a normal family, or a person all across Virginia, you spend your money on what's extremely important to you, your priorities. Right. And so our budget has to reflect those priorities. So making sure that we continue to keep the 5% raises in, making sure that we continue to make the investments in our infrastructure, making sure you know, that that, that those things that we really care deeply about that are actually going to make Virginia better are remain in the budget. But from a policy perspective, I think there's, you know, the housing issues that we're dealing with, the the, the bills to, to stem the tide of eviction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are some, there's the disorderly conduct bill that's still alive in the Senate that's going to come over. So I think we need to push on that. You know, there are, uh, you know, there, there's redistricting bills that are still alive. That's to major create, important. To, to create independent commissions. Now, I, I, I will tell you that there's a lot of improvement that can be made to the ones that are still alive mm-hmm. but we do have vehicles to 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 change them. I think those are those are the big ones that the tax policy changes because if you know like we could make the earned income tax credit completely refundable and those people under fi- that make under $50,000 a year yes. are the huge beneficiaries and that's 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 who a lot of us advocate for. And you know there's a there's a clear fundamental difference because some on the Republican side would suggest that a family that makes $150,000 a year or $125,000 a year is middle class, huh. uh, right? <laughs> oh, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so so those are the fundamental policy d- issues that still need advocacy, that still need pressure from a, from a grassroots organizing perspective, um, especially in this election year.
1: Do you have anything that you wanna say going into the rest of the budget season or letting people know about or especially going into the election? Do you have an opponent
2: actually? Uh, I, d- I, I don't, I, I don't know. So down, far, Jesse. guys. So far, no, what am I doing
1: this? Sit down,
2: Jesse. <laughs> is that what those petition sheets are over there? For? <laughs> don't look at those. What? Is there? <laughs> I mean, else. it's it's <laughs> it... referendum I'm working on. So, so there's, yeah, a little, yeah. there's a little. There's a little. You know, there are eleven of us who are z- whose districts are subject to that lawsuit that is, um, on, in the final stages of, of yeah. saying what our districts are going to look like. So that could change things, right? Um, you know, so I, I I I don't know of an opponent right now. Um,
1: to be clear, not me, for sure. Not a <laughs> sh- that was an actual joke. It was a whole joke, <laughs> y'all.
2: Um, but uh, you know, the great thing about our democracy is, you know, anybody can run, right? Like, right. like if you, as long as you meet the the criteria, you can run, and 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 we just need to vet these people very thoroughly. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I mean, I th- I think it's you know one of the things that's been lost is, and, and this came up as part of our conversation. Um, about how this hadn't come out for so long about mm-hmm. going back to the governor. And and I I when I was a much younger man and had much more energy, um, I worked on Mark Warner's governor's campaign. Mm-hmm. And the amount of money that when you run statewide, you have to spend on opposition opposition research. Not Bingo. Not, not on your opponent. Bingo. Yes. Not uh-huh. on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> yep. I mean, I, how they didn't find this or how they didn't go look for it mm-hmm. or uh, I, I'm just I'm dumbfounded. That's why I say I'm baffled. I am mm-hmm. baffled that just this has like come out. That
0: would
3: Be boom right in the I forefront. I mean, but just but not one yearbook, but two.
2: Well, two books. And, and because I mean, I think it was Bob McDonald. There was an issue about a thesis that he wrote um, that, mm-hmm. that that folks. So so it's not like we're not so. I, well,
1: and and also in the in the climate where these issues of race are are a big hot topic, and the fact that you're admitting the fact that you have. Done this before in a different capacity. But like those one. are this things to talk about, in my opinion, up front. Like uh, things also like when you're at VMI, you're saluting a Stonewall Jackson statue every, every day. single day. And so for as much as somebody can say, Well, nobody asked. Well yeah, that's why people are upset is that we shouldn't have to ask. No. Like have these conversations openly and start the discussion and dialogue, mm. especially when you're talking about these things, saying take down the monuments or saying well, we're fighting for equity. Like talk about your personal experience, even if it's ugly.
3: And and I think that's what would give you a better vehicle to find that forgiveness And for me. You know, if this had been something that had come up and he had said this was an experience I learned from, these are the things I've done henceforth to show that I have a different understanding of, of how I operate in policy, how I operate in life. You know, if he had started that story once I met Pam, I, my life changed before campaign time. And then you have these other little small nuances that have popped up since then that in the back of, you know, all of our minds, we were like, you slighted him on the campaign flyer? Like, is that serious? That's like, weird. We were James you, Barber and the governor's mansion? Like, for you, Halloween? Couldn't be,
2: you couldn't be SpongeBob? I, I, like, you couldn't be I, anybody I, I, else? I think that the idea that, that we have to have these conversations and embrace them ourselves, I think, is, is, is the right one. And I said this to to some colleagues I said listen um, my father was an alcoholic for most of my life and it wasn't until he verbalized and said I have a problem that he changed that he that he was able to change mm-hmm. because if you don't understand that you have a problem you, you can never solve it you can never get to a solution mm-hmm. And and he said it. And two days later, he was in a thirty day treatment program, in inpatient, mm. right? And so that mm-hmm. was when I was a senior in high school. He he never drank again <clears throat> until he died five years ago. So so I think we're we, we've got to get to a point where we can say, hey, I got a problem. I've evolved. I've changed. I'm still an imperfect person. You know, we all we uh, all fall we all short. Are. We all fall we all short, are. right? Right. Um, and so I, you know, I hope for Virginia. I hope for. Um, Governor Northam, um, that we can get to that place soon. And sooner that, rather than later.
3: And, and, and that was the, that's the resounding issue for me with Saturday's press conference because that was not what happened.
1: And I think also if anybody's looking for a reference of a good, like, oppo dump of upfront oppo dumps, like, so Lee Carter did one in September where he really went through in 15 tweets on Twitter and broke down, like, these are all the things that people could find out about me. This is my experience. And heads up, elections how many years away and i still want to talk about these things now right or one year a little over a year away at that point so i appreciate the fact that yeah let's no, talk I mean, about I, it and have the conversations yeah.
3: Yeah. i mean we all got warts right like mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean i don't have any is. blackface ones but
2: i wear blackface every day well that's the issue though Mine's really doesn't come off right, right. Um, so i i just think that we have to, you you're absolutely right. Just like let's let's just have a conversation and 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 be genuine about it. That's my thing. Yeah. It's the
3: sincerity of it. It's the insincerity that we saw on Saturday with the laughing and should I do the moonwalk? Like that is so that for me that that punctuated the disrespect and made it worse. Yeah for me as a black person watching you do this like you don't take this seriously you for all of those phone calls that were made and all of those meetings that were had you it went in one ear and right out the other and you don't get it you simply don't get it
0: well maybe he feels like he deserves to be in the position that he's in no
3: he yeah he does he he feels like he deserves it and he feels like he can talk his way out of it
0: well so
1: Anyway. On that note, as but we close that- out, it'll be interesting because I just got tweeted at that apparently um, Governor Northam has called his top-level staff, including cabinet members and the lieutenant governor, for an urgent meeting. Good. So by the time this airs on Wednesday, I guess we'll have an answer for the outcome, I would hope, or at least we will try to do. I'll try to edit that in. But outside of that, we really appreciate you coming
2: in, well, Delegate I'm, Born. I am so honored to have been invited. I, I was I was like, man. Dang, everybody guy. Everybody else. <laughs> everybody else. And look, it was a forward fumble, right? Like, like come it was some, it was some, want. you know, it was some real good stuff to talk about.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you know,
0: like I, I, I know. You, want.
3: you just we're, have to bring snacks. I'm happy to bring <laughs> snacks, and, and I'll
2: bring juice, or, you know, or, or I know. raw vegetables, raw, raw or vegetables, or raw, vegans raw vegans at this point. Raw, raw vegans. Now I'm, I might have to eat. I might have to eat some meat in the car before I, I come up. Well, with we them. got
0: Lee's
3: chicken today, so we're we okay.
2: Um, but no, I really do appreciate, it. and 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 I really. Um, appreciate what y'all do, cause I don't have to like sure. I I don't have to go to city council meetings. We got you covered. I, we'll like, take care oh, of that man. for you. I mean, and 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 Tag the way in. the way that the way that you all collectively as RVA Dirt cover those meetings is. um I think fresh and refreshing hmm. because it's not the same stale. This person said this, this person said that, you know, there's context, there's flavor, there's, yeah. there's well, flair. Coming spundies. from
0: somebody whose gift game is as strong as yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Strong laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's a big compliment.
2: Uh, yes. you yeah. are going to make me blush. <laughs> oh <it>. God. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Thank
0: you to really for taking your time out of uh, a, what <laughs> is an insane time yeah. in your life right yeah. now so thank you um and thank you for making some very valuable points today. thank you thank you, we you guys appreciate probably. it All right. as always flint still has dirty water rps
3: is still not fully funded and as we know richmond is still most certainly racist but we're working on that too see y'all next week
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of rva dirt's municipal mania heard every wednesday at 11 a.m right here on wrirlp 97.3 fm richmond oh
4: I said, I just couldn't understand, whatever you were thinking, I don't really give a damn, I swear to God I'll tell you all again.